podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Hello, everybody. Well, welcome to episode <laughs> 166. Today, we're going to talk about hope. And because we're talking about hope, I uh, thought we'd have a special guest in here today. Uh, we know her as V. Her name's Diane uh, Capaldi, right? Yep, that's perfect. But but I just call her V every time. We've had coffee before. We've interacted online. And uh, now you're here today because you have a very hopeful story from a place of deep, deep valley in your life. Uh, actually, you've had you've traversed several valleys to get to where you are today. And we don't really do interviews on this podcast. You're going to help us answer some questions today, but I'd like to give some context. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your, your backstory. What's the, the big picture view of who V is and how we got where we are right now? Well, I guess I should start with V is short for verb because I think I'm a verb and not a noun. So oh. that'll give you a good backstory. Nice. Um, I'm 55 years old and proud of it, ladies. I'm so proud. <laughs> um, and at the age of 23, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and told that I was going to be bedridden and live a very non-productive life mm. and that it was a progressive debilitating disease and just hang on for the ride and my life was going to end. You were given mm. a death sentence, basically. Truly, it was a death sentence. At age 23. 20, I was married to my high school sweetheart six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was happening then? You 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 had you had some symptoms, I assume, or did you just go in and they randomly assigned this 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 two letter label on you? Right. It it, al it almost felt like that. No, I don't want people to get their panties in a bunch, but I did get the hepatitis vaccine, and the next day I woke up with symptoms of MS, which oh, ultimately wow. were diagnosed as MS. Not an anti-vaxxer, I'm just stating my story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and also, I mean, so hepatitis vaccine, I assume, covers, and I'm not a doctor by any stretch. We've had doctors on the podcast plenty of times, um, and not kook doctors either. But uh, uh, I remember we were when we were living in Missoula, the, the good food store there, which is the Whole Foods equivalent. Yeah. There was an employee who had hepatitis it's A. Than Whole Foods, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was an, an employee there who I guess had who worked at the salad bar and had Hep A, Ooh. and it was like the first thing you saw in the, the newspaper was they were recommending. Well, everyone should if you ate at the good food store, go out and get a hepatitis A vaccine. And I'm like, I guess I should probably do that. I've eaten at this this uh, salad bar two or three times a week. I I should definitely do that. And then I just did a little bit of like just surface level research, and I'm like. Oh, like, yeah. like th th there are some serious potential problems. W and by the way, if if Hep A, if you get Hep A, it's it's kind, it's not the same thing, but it's kind of like getting chickenpox, oh. um, where once you recover from it, you are effectively vaccinated for the rest of your life. Now, mm. doctors, don't yell at me. Uh, please consult your doctor if yeah, uh, just, if you want any real a, medical advice here. We're just having a conversation. Yeah, we're not we're not recommending anything. But so that's crazy. So you got you got this vaccination. Uh, you woke up the next day, you started having these symptoms, they diagnosed you with MS. So how did that, um, if I may, like how did that affect your marriage like when you got that diagnosis? I was married to a great man, um, but the marriage was not able to 
Outlast, um, MS, and that's very common in the, uh, MS is the second, people with MS are the second youngest and longest living population in institutions in America. So it's definitely a progressive debilitating disease. So the type A overachiever verb in me, uh, the day I was diagnosed, got involved with the National MS Society, you know, was a fundraiser, was actually the largest fundraiser in the state of Pennsylvania and Delaware, went on to be on the board of directors. And by the age of 37, I did become legally disabled from the effects of MS on my body, which resulted in bilateral loss of both of my hands. So I couldn't use my hands, couldn't feel the left side of my body, and I was choking, which is what kills a lot of us from MS. We choke. Yeah, so you're having problems swallowing. So you, not only can you not feed yourself, if you could get fed, you can't necessarily swallow the food all the time. Mm. Right. I was struggling. Uh, your <sighs> throat gets like a Charlie horse. Did you ever get like a Charlie horse when you're working out or like in your feet? Or yeah. Your calves? Never in my throat, though. You get it in your throat. It's called rigidity. So my throat would spasm like that. Um, wow. So to try and save myself, I moved to California because I have body temperature regulation issues. I did all this stuff. Before uh, MS took things from me, I built and sold technology companies. I was grateful to have millions of dollars in the bank and be very successful. You did really well as as an entrepreneur and as a business person uh, throughout your 20s. And by age 30, you you had achieved the the American dream, so to speak, Mm -hmm. except your health was continuing to dwindle. And that's, you know, was so amazing. I did achieve the American dream and I did, I was connected because of my work with the MS Society and with, I worked in technology, so some of the biggest names in America. You know, I, and I'm a t- I'll do anything that they tell me to do and I'll work really hard, but it, MS was winning at every turn. Yeah. So I went to Burning Man, which is uh, an artist, uh, no judgment, self expression event that happens in the desert. Uh, this was- 2011? Yeah. Okay. Back when Burning Man was cool. It, yeah, when, <laughs> back before it was so commercialized. Um, yeah, when when it was like really hippies and not, um, but anyway. So I went to Burning Man to pray to figure out what my course was because what was in front of me was homelessness, potentially institutionalization, or I was contemplating suicide. Mm, sure. um, I do have a daughter and you know, it's not the greatest thing to think of when you have, you know, who's in college at the time. But we need to be able to talk about that too. I, I was just reading this really sad story over the, over the, weekend um there's this news anchor in detroit fox 2 news i think she was a meteorologist is that right podcast sean she had lasik surgery and like the pain was so immense afterward within i think it was two or three months she killed herself she had two young kids and a husband and an ideal life but and and then here's the messed up part is like you realize that there are a lot of people who have had LASIK surgery who have killed themselves after having LASIK surgery. Mm. Not because it makes you uh, go insane, clinically insane. That's not, it's, it's from pain. And some people wow. last longer than others. One guy who lasted six and a half years, but having burning every second of the day kind of pain mm. uh, because they messed up the surgery mm. and, and realizing like, well, I, I hate to say this for him, but he thought that this was the only path that he had to go. And I think we have such a stigma around suicide that it becomes this thing that is both like it becomes cool to get like real sad and dark and then get suicidal. It, it becomes a cultural meme. But the honest 
thing is like we need to be able to talk about things like euthanasia or ending your life in a safe humane way in many ways our, our friend dr christopher ryan he talks about how we're often far more humane to our pets than we are <laughs> to to sick people in this country like like giving people massive i, I remember my mom was was dying you know and her going through the chemo and radiation and man, she must have been 85 pounds by the end of all of that. And like, it wasn't really living at all. And and, uh, she was just, they were perpetuating suffering in a way. And I didn't know any better at the time. That was the prescription of of Western medicine. So V, you've dealt a lot with with diagnoses and and prescriptions from other people and and, uh, effectively death sentences. Um, How did you you keep hope throughout all of this? You know, my parents, uh, both of them have passed, and I was fortunate to know that they were going to leave this earth so we had time together. And my mom told me on her deathbed that I came out of the womb smiling and have been smiling ever since. Mm. So I was born genetically happy. Yeah, I'm very happy. <laughs> I am an optimist, and the verb in me is a fighter. Mm. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm 100% Italian, and I'm Taurus the Bull, so like, come on, did I have a choice but to be like this overachiever type A personality, and I've just always been a fighter. If they say no, that means yes to me. Matter of fact, I used to give talks in the technology sector, which is where I built companies, that no is yes. You know, Mm -hmm. if a buyer says to me no, that means, well, I'm gonna get this deal. If they say to me yes right away, they're never gonna write me the order, you know, so. So I've just always been that way and went to Burning Man and realized that, you know, praying every day at the temple, they build a temple there, that maybe our healthcare system where you go and they say, oh, you have a sneeze, here's a drug to get rid of the sneeze. Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem was I was listening to our healthcare system and maybe it was the way I was living my life that was a problem. Mm. And the beauty about this, I will tell you, is I had already started my path to minimalism. So I was six years into being a minimalist. And um, I was already studying Buddhism, I was already meditating, I was already moving my body consciously before I went to Burning Man. The thing I wasn't doing was taking ownership for my health beyond going to the doctor and doing what the doctor told me, meaning, what was I putting in my mouth? Yeah. What was my stress level like? Mm. How many hours was I sleeping? I was not consciously involving those parts in my wellness program. You're sort of outsourcing your health. And <laughs> I, I know that I would do that with doctors and, and I'm still dealing with a lot of health issues right now because throughout my 20s, I took an antibiotic for about 10 years Ooh. daily. Uh, uh, relatively benign, I'm saying this in quotes if you're not watching this on YouTube. Uh, the doctor said, that's a relatively benign antibiotic, you'll just take it every day. And so I did, I took it every day for over a decade and uh, totally destroyed my gut. I'm dealing with some, some SIBO issues right now. That's so hard. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and realizing like, well, no one is going to be as responsible for my health as I am. No one's mm. gonna care as much as I do, or at least they shouldn't. And I can't just outsource this. I can get advice from people and that's advisable to do that. But, but I need to take it all into consideration. I need to be willing to dive in and do my own research as well. And that sounds like that's what you did. That's the path you went down, figuring out what works for you and your body. I really did, which now we call that biohacking, you know, in the in the you know, the modern day. Sure. So through diet and lifestyle choices, I have successfully biohacked my way to the point where I have not only stopped what MS was doing to my body, I have reversed every symptom of MS on my body, Mm -hmm. which has resulted in I no longer take any drugs for MS, I no longer see Western medicine doctors, and I no longer spend any money on healthcare, which I exhausted in 10 years, two and a half million dollars in liquid assets listening to Western medicine. That's incredible. So the fact that my healthcare today is zero other than insurance premium 
premiums um, and I do get blood work, um, fecal, urine and saliva studies. So I do pay whatever insurance doesn't cover for those. But that's just to monitor my body, my gut health, sure. you know, uh, my inflammation markers, all of those things. I have multiple sclerosis, Epstein-Barr, Hashimoto's and Lyme disease. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so we, we did a podcast episode with, with uh, two of my doctors, uh, well, one doctor, Dr. Tommy Woods, and then uh, uh, Chris Kelly, uh, who run a company called Nourish, Balance, Thrive, mm-hmm. and they take an integrative medicine approach, sort of what you're talking about here. Um, you, you, it's sort of the best of, of, of both worlds, so they'll still look at, obviously, uh, it's really important to look at uh, studies, and you know we're not uh, rubbing crystals against me in order to heal my gut um but but at the same time we're, we're, we're looking at what are alternatives to antibiotics right because ultimately i can go that route and there's nothing wrong with just like there's nothing wrong with with vaccines right yeah. like we're, we're not anti-vaxxers I, I i vaccinate ella make sure she's vaccinated so um uh, my, my five-year-old like yeah. you know, we, we make sure that you know she has her vaccines but at the same time it's about being cautious about what we're putting into our body and what other people are telling us to put into our body so you went through quite a journey and in 2011 you started turning some things around you changed your diet you run a website now can you talk a little bit about that yeah, when um, when I started my healing journey of getting conscious, my Italian family and friends were like, what? You're mm-hmm. gonna, you know, no one was really very supportive. Mm-hmm. So I went to social media, I actually had some friends one day, they're like, we're kind, of, we're kind of tired of you talking about all this. Why don't you just like go to social media and you're really bossy, so you should just be like paleo boss lady. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I went to social media, I was eating a paleo lifestyle at that time, which for anyone that doesn't know, that's basically fruits, vegetables, and protein. We don't eat gluten, grains, refined sugar, um, dairy. And uh, I started a paleo lifestyle, and uh, you you talk about hope. Um, the paleo lifestyle was helping me, and then I happened to see a TEDx. You guys did a TEDx, I did a TEDx. We know how powerful and amazing those are. This was done by Dr. Terry Walls, and it was the day it came on YouTube. And at that time, I could only use my voice to activate the computer, so I was screaming at the computer because I was not feeling well from MS. Um, and I was like, diet, lifestyle, MS. And all of a sudden this TEDx came up with Dr. Terry Walls and she's like, here's me in a tilt reclining wheelchair from MS and here she's standing on the stage. And that was the first hope because I've always been a fighter and I was not gonna stop fighting. But now I had someone saying, I went from a wheelchair to standing and I not only stopped what MS was doing to my body, but I've reversed what MS was doing. Mm. So I immediately started doing exactly what she said. And to date, I am potentially like one of the most healed, even more than Dr. Walls. And that's not in a negative way, but I don't take any drugs. Mm. And she still, she doesn't take any disease modifying drugs, but there are maintenance drugs that Mm. she takes to support her. I take nothing. Wow. And so, so what's fascinating here is the thing that gave you hope is you saw a template. You saw the possibility, right? Whereas before, when you were 23, if you go back to the beginning, you were given the opposite of possibility. You were given pessimism. In fact, I printed out some definitions for hope here because hope is such a slippery word, right? It's yeah. like it can mean so many things. When I looked it up in the in the thesaurus specifically, there were all these different words like desire and wish and expectation and aim and goal and plan and dream and daydream and pipe dream uh expectation expect uh expectancy confidence faith 
assurance, promise. And I circled some words here that when I think of hope, when I say hope, when I what I what I'm often talking about is aspiration, ambition, optimism. Mm-hmm. And the way you find optimism quite often is you see that, oh, there's a different template. I've been prescribed this one thing, this one template. It's like when we were living the American dream, right? It's like, <laughs> that's one template, but it's not the template. And Western medicine works really great for a lot of things. If I break my bone, I'm not going to rub crystals on that either. I'm going to get it in a cast. I'm going to make sure, say, if I have a really bad infection, I'm definitely going to take antibiotics if they're going to save my life. No question about that. It makes sense to do that. Same with insurance. You you mentioned like having insurance. I assume it's like catastrophic insurance. So right. if, if you get into a car accident or something, because you're traveling the country right now in your van and, and, and doing a tour. Um, before we dive into these questions, Sean, if you could put a link to V's TED, uh, TEDx talk in the show notes. And also her website is called uh, paleobosslady.com. You're also paleobosslady at all the social medias, I believe. I yeah. Beautiful. It's a good TEDx talk. It's funny how those little eight-minute talks can have such a huge impact. Yeah, I highly encourage our listeners to go check it out. So I think today when we're talking about hope, Ryan, the, the one definition here in the dictionary that really stood out to me was, well, there were two. One was wanting something to happen mm-hmm. that's sort of the loose definition of hope when you have hope for something you want something to happen but for me the important part you know, sometimes you and i mock the secret um <laughs> n- n- <laughs> not not because we don't believe in like the power of intention we right. absolutely do but it, we also have to believe in the power of action you have mm-hmm. to couple your intention with action mm-hmm. so when i think of hope at its essence this definition really stood out to me out of all of the dozens of definitions i have two pages of hope definitions printed out here this one stood out the most intend if possible to do something mm. so v you saw this tedx talk and you're like i notice something's possible and I intend to do that. I intend to cure myself. In fact, when medical doctors often go to, to medical school, they very rarely talk about healing in med, in med school. Mm-hmm. When they do, it's usually in the context of wounds, like healing a wound. But we often don't talk about the integrative healing, like mm-hmm. in healing ourselves, whether it's our mind or our guts or our psychology, our physical health, a lot of it has to do with healing, the damage that we've created. Our body does an amazing job of healing itself um, if we're providing it with uh, with what it needs in order to heal, as, as you found out. So we've got some really good questions here today. Let's start with our first question from John in Minnesota. I'm on board. I'm purging, get rid of stuff, but I was hoping to feel better about it. I still feel frustrated and not as calm as I thought I would. So I, the process is not producing the results I'd hoped for. I was wondering if you guys could help me. All right, John in Minnesota. Um, so well, he's, he's gotten rid of stuff. He's yes. not. Uh, he's ex- kept. He's kept the accent. He, yes, <laughs> kept the accent. I noticed. Um, so my wife is, is from Minnesota, and uh, she she um, like at times. I don't know if you ever notice it with her, Ryan. It it comes out like in in the strangest. Oh thing. yeah, man. Once she gets around her family, especially. Like, for some reason, it's like this familial uh, residue and, and the accents all come out thick. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think about for John, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, I had a well, it's, this isn't funny, um, you know, ironic, not haha funny. Mm-hmm. Funny how we always use that word when it's not appropriate. Anyway, um, I, I had a high school kid email me a couple years ago. Uh, he was like 17 years old and he's like, hey, man. 
I'm in high school right now. I'm having a really hard time with uh, depression. He's like, I'm tired all the time. There's some weeks I don't go to school because he, he was suffering from a you know specific type of illness. And he was like, I have come across the minimalists. And he's like, man, for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling hope. And I just wanted to write and ask you, is this the answer to all of my life's problems? Is this going to cure my depression? Is this going to give me energy? And, you know, I just wrote back to him. I'm like, hey, man. Send him a PayPal invoice. <laughs> right. <laughs> the answer is yours for $19.99. No, I, I just wrote him back and I was like, look, man, minimalism is not this magic bullet answer of solving all of life's problems. What minimalism helps us to do, you know, specifically Josh and I and what we write about is how we use this tool to help us through uh, filter through all of the noise and the impulses that we face. And it's not just the impulses that we have personally, but the impulses that are forced upon us in society. And yes, can minimalism, you know, help this seven, you know, what I was explaining to him, you know, can minimalism help you to, uh, to live a more deliberate life? Yes. But no, unfortunately there are, you know, there, there are limits to what minimalism can help with. And, and I feel very similar, uh, towards John here. You know, John may have went into this, this journey thinking that, oh, I'm going to get rid of my, my stuff and I'm going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, that is, I think maybe maybe a bit of a wrong expectation. Now, I don't think John is hopeless here. Uh, I, I think that there's certainly a lot of hope with John. What I think I would tell him is like, dude, congratulations on getting rid of all this clutter. Mm -hmm. Congratulations of, of uh, uh, bringing and, and making your life quieter and a little bit mm -hmm. easier to, to maneuver through. This is the very first step into your new meaningful life that you know John is trying to live here. Yeah. So now that he's got all this noise out of the way, I think he has to start asking. Uh, he he has to start asking more questions. And V, I like what you talk about in your TEDx talk about getting behind the why. So I think John needs to start with like why, you know, a why did he start minimalism uh, this journey in the first mm -hmm. place, and why is he experiencing uh, this this um, frustration or what did he say specifically, Josh? How he's feeling? He said, "I was hoping to feel better about it," and he said, mm -hmm. "I still feel frustrated and not as calm as I thought I would, and the process is not producing the results I'd hoped for." So the question is, is why is John not feeling calm right now? And there are so many different answers to that, right? Yeah, I mean, but ultimately it comes down to one broad answer, and then there'll be specific answers for him that might be different from all three of us, sure. right? And so if I if I if I'm looking at John and what he's asking here. Hope says something about the future. So does despair. So when you feel feel despair, you're saying, I don't feel a whole lot of promise. I feel pessimistic right. about the future. When I feel hope, I feel optimistic about the future. So they're two sides of the same coin. And, and when I look at, when if I'm looking backward, there's, there's something called joy and there's something called regret. If you feel bad about the past, you're going to feel regretful. If you feel joy about the if you feel good about the past you feel you feel joy right mm -hmm. and so when when you're going in there Ryan and you're talking to John about changing the why based on on V's TEDx talk to me the question is how might your life be better with less mm -hmm. that helps you identify what your why is because if you're just getting rid of the stuff yeah, you'll feel a weight lifted right away. You're like, oh, look, my living room's a little bit cleaner, right? Or, oh, wow, I can actually see, you know, my, my kitchen counters now. All the bills are, are moved off of it. Uh, you feel a little bit of relief. 
but you're not going to experience the joy from the past. You're not going to experience the hope of the future unless you know why you're doing what you're doing. And the way you do that is you figure out what is your why? How might your life be better with less? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's improved health. Maybe it is better relationships. Maybe it's contributing to your community. Maybe it is being able to grow or read or create things that you weren't able to do before. Your why might be different from my why. Now, The thing that I'm going to say here, Ryan, is he said, those aren't the results I hoped for. And my question is, well, what were the results you hoped for, right? That's another way to figure out your why. If it's nebulous, well, I was hoping I'd feel better. Well, what does better look like? You have to get really clear on, on the why. Not just, I hope I'd be happy. Well, what does that even mean? That's a slipperier term than, than hope even. Uh, in fact, I often think happiness is the problem because we're constantly chasing these eph- the ephemeral pleasure, right? Like more, more, more. Give me more Skittles because it tastes good in my mouth right now. Not realizing like, oh, I am going to regret this later, right? And so if I were to define hope here, I would just say when it's done well, hope is a loosely held expectation without a specific destination. And what I mean by that is sometimes we have to be willing to say, um, we have to be willing to say like, I'm, I may not have, you know, six pack abs or I may not have, uh, lose this exact amount of weight. That's not the destination that I want. The destination that I want has to be clear to me based upon what I want, not what the, what societal standards are thrusting upon me. So, so V I'm sure in your experience from when you first were diagnosed with MS up into this point, um, I know you've done a lot of like meditation retreats. You've done different talks. You went to Burning Man. Uh, have you ever had an instance where you had this hope, this expectation of what a certain experience was going to bring you for it to just not be what you expected at all? And and I guess like, have you ever had that happen and how did you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, I actually just had that happen recently. I'll tell you, um, you touched briefly, I, I live in a van and I tour around the country helping people for free learn everything that I use. And, and they can find all those tour dates and stuff at your website, yeah, right? where yeah. you're gonna be. Yeah. So I was doing that one person at a time and the community came back to me and said, we'd like for you to do like 100 people at a time. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll do that. So in Colorado this year, I did a, we called it a summit, a weekend where people flew in from all over the world in South Africa. Uh, I mean, countries like, you know, South America, Europe, I couldn't believe it to spend, you know, three days with me and a co-host. And I thought, this is me really serving the community. And I'm so proud of myself. It was like one of the proudest days of my life until three days in. And I realized that I physically can't do this. Mm. I emotionally can't do this. Mm. It's a lot. Um, It's, it. It, it was me forgetting that I do still have multiple screw. I have all these things, I just manage them. Mm-hmm. And that in order for me to stay well, I need to maintain what it takes for me to be well. And that is not three days in a hotel with 100 people mm-hmm. inspiring them at one time. It takes a lot of energy. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was like a brick hit my forehead because I was, wow. I'm just trying to help people. That's all I want to do. And I overextended myself and I actually was now hurting myself trying to help people. Mm-hmm. So 
how I regroup was I took off and I went to into Mother Nature. I went to um, Rocky Mountain National Park for four days and took a people detox, a outside world detox, and just shut it all down and just hung out with my dog. And I am a minimalist. I only live with seventy possessions, so um, total everything I own fits in. Putting 60. us to shame, Millie. Yeah, everything <laughs> I own fits in sixty square feet, and to be able to just you know, it's easy to get outside and turn the outside world off when you live the way that I do and mm. just to regroup and um, for me it was not it felt like a hopeful thing I was doing was shattered but what it was it was life just telling me that that wasn't the best use of what I was doing and I just had to regroup and reposition um, went back to my tribe and said I can no longer I can't do this I'm sorry and then they came back and gave me they they community mm. reignited my hope so Is I was gonna say, isn't that awesome? Like when when you uh, so something bad happens and you feel like, oh man, like my friends, my family, my community, I've let them down. Mm -hmm. They're gonna judge me. But like when they come back and they're like, oh no, we love you and we support you. Isn't that like just the best feeling? It really touched my heart because in those forty eight hours that I was in Rocky Mountain National Park, I, I did feel sad that I'd let I'd let my community down, and I also almost felt sort of like wow here I'm giving people a message on how to be healthy the way they live their life and I like overextended myself mm -hmm. to an unhealthy and I did it in front of people so I felt like wow and I I was just trying to help I was so focused on trying to help that I forgot myself in mm -hmm. that journey and that's not really helping people when you forget yourself so if you're not there to help if you if you're not the best version of yourself then it's not really going to be helpful for them anyway. You know, I'm thinking uh, recently about my my recent issues with with SIBO, and all of what John said actually applies. So, I've I've been healing my gut over the last three years, working with uh, the great doctors over at Nourish Balance Thrive. Uh, we did a podcast with them. I think it was episode 138, Sean. If you want to put a link to it in the show notes, but um, it was about health problems and. Um, we've healed a whole bunch of issues. I had mercury poisoning, a bunch, bunch of other things, and and now recently though, I've had this huge SIBO overgrowth, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. For those of you uninformed, and um, he said I was hoping to feel better about it, like I'm because I'm taking massive action. I'm 18 days into this 90 day protocol. And uh, I mean, you should see uh, Ryan has seen the amount of pills that I'm taking every yeah, day. It's, it's it's an hard army protocol. Yeah, yeah and, and so um, and I'm, I'm my diet has radically changed and everything. But uh, he said I was hoping to feel better ab about it. I still feel frustrated, not as calm as I thought I would be. And the process is not producing the results I'd hoped mm. for. And what I would say is maybe the timeline is more protracted than what you think. I mean, for me, it took about eight months for me to simplify my life when I when I was letting go of stuff. Ryan did it in 21 days. But even then... <laughs> I'm he, pretty extreme with yeah. stuff sometimes. <laughs> even then, though, it wasn't it wasn't over. It was It's maintenance after that, right? Mm. And, and, and moving on, it's learning about not bringing in the wrong things as well, yeah, bringing well, in the appropriate things. Even after things. those 21 days, like it wasn't, it's not like I woke up and I was like, oh man, like life is perfect now. <laughs> right. It was more about after those 21 days, I could see a path. I finally was able to see the path that I really wanted to go down. And you, what I like about uh, what you were saying, V, is you regrouped. And maybe that's where John's at right now. Mm -hmm. He just needs to regroup and really figure out what it is uh, that is truly making him feel this anxiety and, and maybe to regroup to really get clear on the path that, that he wants to take. The other thing too is you learned from this experience. And John, 
buddy, like learn from this experience. What would you have done differently? How are you going to do things differently moving forward? And then the other thing too is, John, I know there's some positive stuff out there. I know there's some positive stuff that John has experienced from this journey. So, so focus on those. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely focus on those. You don't want to ignore the, the 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 negatives either, but you definitely want to call out the positives. You, 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 John doesn't want to look in the mirror. We don't want John to look in the mirror and say, "Well, this is all for nothing," and then he's just going to go back to you know hoarding newspapers or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's definitely some positive things that he can take away from this experience. So it's try to focus on those. And then, yes, just just uh, really consider what you're going to do differently moving forward, John. You might, you know, when I think about things in my life that gave me a lot of stress and anxiety, things that made me feel not calm, it usually has to do with uh, being around just I don't toxic people. I'll just say I'm trying to like find a softer way to say it. But sometimes like you got we've got toxic people in our lives and they've been in our lives for a long, long time. And it's hard to like to to, to be honest with ourselves. But John, I mean, take a look at the relationships that you have. Take a look at your health, John. How how is your health? Because I'll I'll say right now, like if if uh, John is living on a Twinkie diet, I'm sure he's not. I'm just going to the extreme here because that's what right. I do. But, you know, if he's living on a Twinkie diet. like So the standard American diet. Yes, right. the standard that's American so diet. True. Like, you, you know, that that is going to cause a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, I know that was certainly uh, true for me. My my health, I, I just didn't realize how... Uh, you know, drinking till two o'clock in the morning and then going to White Castle and doing that, you know, two, three, four times a week, mm-hmm. like how exhausted that made me, which in turn caused me to be more stressed, have more anxiety. So, so John, t- take a look at your health. Um, is it because you don't have time for yourself? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe John is just so busy. Uh, he needs to reclaim his time. Um, I, I don't know specifically what it is, but John, look at the positive stuff that has happened through this journey. Take note of the things that you want to do differently, but really now is the time that you have all this clutter clear. And now that your life is a little bit quieter, really get clear on what it is that you want to do differently and what, what changes you need to make in your life to, to help your life to be more calm. I want to prescribe two things to John here. One is there is a really short essay by Derek Sivers called Subtract. And I'm just going to read the first line of it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, just sivers.org slash subtract. He says, life can be imp- improved by adding or by subtracting. The world pushes us to add because that benefits them. But the secret is to focus on subtracting. And then he goes into this analogy of how we're constantly trying to add things like it's going to bring us mm. happiness, joy, hope. But maybe the hope lies from subtracting, getting yeah. down to the place where you can have hope for your health and your relationships and other places because you've gotten the, the superfluous things out of the way. The second thing I, I would like to gift you, John, is a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. I'll hold it up right here. Um, so we talked about why and discovering your why. And this book, Ryan and I wrote three books over the course of the last eight years. One of them is, we call it a why-to book. This one's the how-to book, minimalism. This one's the what-to book. <laughs> and, and really, for John, you need to get uh, focused on the why. And yeah. I think everything that remains will help you do that. If you like our podcast, you'll really like the audiobook version of that. Podcast John, if you could reach out to John, give him that. Or if you want the book book version or the audio or the ebook version, we're happy to give those to you so as well. Before we move on here, I you know, V, I feel like we're not giving you enough time to talk about the why. 
and, and I know that that's something that you focus on. Explain, because uh, Josh and I talk about it a lot, but why is the why? Why is that so important to you? You know, it's really interesting because uh, that's something that, you know, in touring around and helping people, a lot of times people ask me, like, what was your why? And my why was me. Mm-hmm. I love myself. And like a lot, like mm-hmm. a whole lot. And that is not a, that was a learned behavior for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up loving myself. I grew up being self-critical mm-hmm. of everything. Like I looked in the mirror and like, you have freckles, you're Italian, you shouldn't have freckles, mm-hmm. your hips are too big, you're, you know, all of those negative things. And for me, my why was me. And why was it me? Because in order for me to be able to get conscious, I had to get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you guys are talking about, you know, John getting rid of stuff and him not feeling better. I didn't really have any expectations when I started getting conscious about life other than I felt like that this path was going to lead me to a a different place that I had been before. And obviously the place that I was wasn't working out so well for Mm, me. So I knew I needed to take a different path and I felt like I was worth it. I was worth it. So a lot of people say their why is their kids or their family or their, my why has always been me and I've always had hope because I I trust myself mm. and I believe in myself. And you know, once I make up my mind to do something, there's no question that I'm going to do it. So for me, um, like when people say, oh, you know, I don't, I because I'm sick, I don't wanna change the way I eat because I'm sick and I'm like, well, I don't, change the way I eat because I'm sick. I eat healthy because our food system is broken and I love myself, so why would I Mm. self-poison? Has nothing to do with the fact that I have MS. It has everything to do with the fact that I love myself. So, you know, my why is me, which- I love uh, it. No, that's great. I I think what you're trying to tell John here is, John, you're worth it, man. Figure out what you gotta do differently and make make those incremental changes in your life, man. You are totally worth it. Yes, indeed. And we'd love to hear what you all have to say. So if you're listening to this at home, uh, if you have a comment or tip about hope, including advice for John or any of our other question askers today, anyone in our audience, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips. It's my favorite part, so make sure you send those in. If you have any listener comments and tips about hope or about anything else, you're welcome to call in 406-219-7839. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Indeed we do. So V, uh, this is how we usually do it. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at The Minimalists. And uh, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I both do our best. And now you, V, do our best to uh, answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. But don't worry. We just talk a lot, and then we wrap it up with a pretty bow. <laughs> or really, Podcast Sean wraps it up with a pretty bow. And so, uh, oh, you can find all of our, our pithy answers in the show notes or uh, all in, on one website now. Our friend Jessica Lynn Williams, she uh, manages minimalmaxims.com for us. And so all of our nice, pretty answers are there on one website. All right, our first lightning round question is from Annie. I grew up with parents who believe that success is working until you have lots of money to live comfortably. How does one maintain hope of living a meaningful life when your parents don't believe in that? So you had a lot of money, V, and were you living comfortably? Did your parents have expectations of you that you didn't meet? 
<laughs> no, my parents. Um, yeah, yeah, they did. Actually, I talk about it in my TEDx. I was supposed to work at a grocery store and find a husband and make babies and cook and not have a job. And also eat lots of flour. Yeah, yeah, mm. lots of flour and, and lots of high inflammatory vegetables. Um, for me, again, it's it. my whole healing journey has been self-reflection. And I've had to question societal and cultural norms along the way and we're all put on this life to live our own version of our best life. Mm -hmm. And I love my family and I love my Italian culture, but I have had to navigate how to respect my culture and my family, but yet be true to myself. And there's nothing wrong with being true to yourself. Amen. And you know, I would just say to Annie that, you know, don't discount your right to be happy. And your parents, you know, I'm a parent and I provide my daughter with a lot of thoughts about the way I see things or believe in things, but that doesn't mean it has to be her she has to duplicate that yeah. she has a responsibility to live her life and you know what as a parent your parents just want you to be happy yeah amen and you know if, if you can be true to yourself and and not measure your life by dollars and cents i think you will be happy but also you so in your uh, late 20s early 30s you had a considerable amount of money in the bank but you weren't living comfortably because you didn't have your health right right and, and so you know it, it, it's fascinating that we get this very narrow picture of the good life and for some reason the the american meme of the good life the Western meme of the good life, and now it's become more of a worldwide meme of the good life, has to do with an abundance of income, a comfort level of income. Of course, if we look at certain studies, depending on what what country you live in. If you, if you by the way, if you live in, if you're already, if you're listening to this, you make more than thirty-four thousand dollars a year. You're living in the one percent of of the the world population, also the one percent of human history as well. So congratulations, you're part of the one percent if you make that much money. Um, however, that said, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily comfortable i know really comfortable poor people i know really comfortable rich people i know really comfortable middle class people and i think the commonality has very little to do with money yes mm. money does buy you some creature comforts for right. sure um, however it also it also increases the demand of what we think we need. It ups the threshold. The bar of acquisition continues to grow higher because, of course, I need a four-bedroom house even though there's two people living here. Of course, I need the second Mercedes-Benz because the first one is no longer enough. Of course, I need blank, blank, and blank. And so our expectations continue to increase. My, my short answer here is a comfortable life is not a virtuous pursuit. And so what I would say to Annie here is, I don't think that's what you want to pursue. Of course, you want a certain level of comfort, or I think a better word for that is certainty. You need a certain level of certainty. I need to be certain that these cameras are reasonably certain these cameras are turned on and that podcast Sean is actually recording this episode. I need a, a base level of certainty that this light isn't going to fall on my head as we are recording this episode. You need basic certainty, food, clothes, and shelter. All those things are, are really important to live a meaningful life. However, when we're constantly pursuing nothing but comfort, if we're nerfing our entire world, that is not a place from which you will grow at all. And so a comfortable life is not a virtuous pursuit. Uh, my short answer is this. Living our life for others is disastrous when we don't consider our own needs because it is too often that we will put someone uh, or a group of people's needs above our own, which, you know, in a... <clears throat> I don't want to sound like I'm being completely selfish here because that's not what it's about. No. It's it's about when when it, I'll give you a perfect example. My father, who uh, is a Jehovah's Witness right now, 
um, does not talk to me because I am not a Jehovah. I'm living with my my partner Mariah. Where you know we don't have a piece of paper that says we're married, um, even though like I will probably be with her the rest of my life. Um, so if I was to do exactly what my dad wanted, if I was to uh, you know get this piece of paper, that's not that big of a deal. I mean I. Uh, you know, I'm, we're not traditional that way. I think it's silly that the government has to be involved with <laughs> with relationships. But regardless, um, that's not a too big of a deal. But if I started to do everything he wanted me to do, going and uh, supporting an organization that I, I, I truly just um, don't want to support, um, if I if I was going out of my way to do these things with my life to live it exactly how my dad wanted, well, then I would be miserable. You could the thing also is you could make a thousand concessions to him. Mm-hmm. But there would be a thousand and first concession, right? There always would be, right. yeah. There, there would always be something else, right? And that's a that's actually a great point because that's mm-hmm. that's so true with with Annie here. Annie, you could uh, you could work until you have lots of money to live comfortably. Uh, your parents, Annie, will probably find something else to to suggest the way that you should live your life. You have two million in the bank, but now you need three. That's yeah. what I was gonna say. What is enough? You right. know, I mean, truly, what is what is enough money? Everyone's definition of enough is different, you know, a lot of money. And, you know, I had a lot of money. I had a lot of money for a long time. I never had financial insecurity until later in life. And by society standards, I had everything and I was miserable Mm. and I was sick. I mean, I was so miserable and I live under that $34,000 mark, okay? Uh And I wake up every day now with joy and happiness and purpose and before I would wake up feeling overwhelmed and I was in pain and I was miserable and I I can honestly tell you that money does not bring happiness what brings happiness is your own lens, your own narrative, what you're telling yourself, what you're believing. I mean, I only wore designer clothes. Most of my shoes were over a thousand dollars, and everything on my body I, mm. is recycled and from Goodwill or. And you look old. great, by the way. Thank yeah. you. You know, so I'm a little joy. envious. I'm I'm having shawl envy right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I think we, we got quite a few pithy answers there uh, for Annie. So, yeah, one Sean, more thi- you can find something there for sure. One more thing I'd like to add, too, is, um, you know, if you're in a situation, Annie, where you're not getting support from your parents and there's no one else in your life that you're getting support from, Annie, you've got to go out and find people who are willing to support you. So, V, like you said, I went to social media. Yep. That's where you went, and you started finding all of these different recipes and different ways to approach life. And, and I mean, ultimately, that's how we are in this room together is because, mm-hmm. of so, I mean, social media eventually got us here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Annie, you got to get out there and find people who are supportive in your life. And uh, if you, if you want to deep dive into parents, we, we did an episode about our parents and Ryan. Oh, all, I'm going to talk all about of, all my mommy and daddy issues. Yeah, it was, a lot on this show. It was a good episode. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. What's our next question, Ryan? Our next question is from Groove Log. Isn't hope simply another form of craving? Isn't it a kind of desire that a minimalist would seek to subdue? So we're here to tell people stop hoping (laughs) no we would never do that it's the opposite yeah Yeah. Yeah. i I mean so and that's why i went through those definitions earlier i mean there's so many in in some cases the answer is yes if if, uh if we have hope for a bunch of things that and desires for a bunch of things but we don't know why we're desiring them like i hope to make a billion dollars but like well, why? Uh, what, well, and there's a very specific thing I want to do with that money. Maybe that's a little bit different. But if we're just hoping for 
these uh, arbitrary metrics and figures and someone else's hopes, then uh, I think it's a recipe for disaster. So my, my short answer is hope is the antidote to despair. We talked a little bit about how hope and despair both say the same thing about the future. And so, so I, the thing I will say is hope is merely the first step, though. You can't hope your way to success. You can't hope your way to good health. Like, I hope I get healthy one day. <laughs> no, well, what, what was it? you're eating a nice piece of lasagna. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chocolate-covered lasagna. Right. <laughs> um, so so uh, when we talked about the best definition here, hope as a verb, right. a verb, it's to intend, if possible, to do something. Intend, if possible, to mm. do something. So is what you're wanting to do possible? Great. And you can hope that it happens. However, you also have to do it and so hope is 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 merely the the first step and action is just as if not more important and in fact i have a few studies here to talk about the neuroscience of optimism and hope sean i hope we can put a link to that was a freudian slip uh <laughs> i hope you will put a link to both of these studies um the the one of them is called the cerebral neurobiology of hope and hopelessness uh, and it is a formal study. And then there is a uh, article in Psychology Today called The Neuroscience of Hope. Mm. And it talks about willpower. It talks about optimism and um, what the science behind that is. Yeah. So uh, I guess I was going to go to my short answer, but I mean, I don't want to. Do you have anything to add about? about vlog or, or in terms of, of craving, um, because I, I I think of it as something different from craving. Like you didn't. I mean, maybe in a in it you craved in a good way. You craved to feel better. You hoped to feel better. You hoped to continue to feel good. Um, but but it's not one of those desires that um, it's not a unnecessary or superfluous desire. Right. Craving to me is. Uh I mean, hope is, is, is a power stance and craving is not. Ooh, that's a pithy answer. That's good. <laughs> Look at that, Sean. She wrapped that up with a bow for you and <laughs> handed it to you. That's great. No, it's absolutely true. Um, it, my, my short answer is this. And I, and I, I the reason why I, did, I uh, wrote this answer, it is to bring a little bit of clarity of what minimalism is, what it does, because it is, it is too often that people will they'll hear the word minimalism and then all these assumptions start to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, if Josh and Ryan are the minimalists, they must like live in a completely a empty, yeah, a completely <laughs> empty box with just stark walls and uh, they have nothing in their lives or as little as possible. In fact, we were walking through the airport one time and this, this girl was like, oh, that's one of the minimalists. He's the guy that lives with nothing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's what I hope for. Were right. You make it right. when you're walking through the airport. <laughs> right. <laughs> loin so this, My one possession. This, this is just a little bit of clarity on what minimalism uh, can help us do. So minimalism, uh, minimalism doesn't eliminate desire. It helps us to be less impulsive in an impulsive world. I wish I could sit here and say, like, buy all three of our books, watch our documentary. Uh, you got to contribute to our Patreon and get all those Patreon episodes. And, and then, follow us on Twitter. And follow us on Twitter. <laughs> and you know what? If you do that, you're going to eliminate all of your desires and you're going to never want to buy anything again. I'm one of the minimalists. I want to buy shit all the time. <laughs> so so it's, it's not about getting rid of these desires. It's about learning how to deal with these uh, desires that we all face every single day. 
P.S. Ryan, P.S.V. We have two more questions, and they are good questions here. Uh, D asks, how can I sustain a hopeful household? So several people in the house. That's something I have to deal with for sure. It's not just about uh, sustaining my my own hope, but having a whole hopeful household, right? <laughs> I see your note about hormone monster here. I can't wait <laughs> yeah, to hear what that's about. Talk about that. <laughs> um, how do I sustain a, a hopeful household when there are several outside adversaries, especially since I'm ra- ra- raising a teenage son? So we'll talk about hope in households with children. And then also Ian asks, what advice would you give to someone who feels financially and emotionally trapped in their life. We're going to answer both of those questions, and if you'd like to hear our answers to those questions, you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist's Private Podcast. That's right. Each week, we record an additional podcast episode, and it's available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to support our show and keep this podcast 100% advertisement-free, then head on over to theminimalists.com support. In addition to our weekly podcast, Postscript episodes. The Minimalist private podcast feed includes our Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events. We did 15 different live events we released to our uh, Patreon supporters last year uh, exclusively for you all. And you can also check out the entire back catalog of past private uh, episodes. So, right, I think we're approaching 100 private episodes at this point. Oh my goodness. So wow. and that that will equal That's true a, happiness for us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're approaching no, true happiness is 200 <laughs> private <laughs> podcasts. We got a ways to go. 200,000 Twitter followers. Well, That's well, <laughs> well, you you you're, you're going to have to catch up with us. So if you want to l- listen to all of those postscript episodes, they are shorter sort of bite-sized episodes anywhere from 45 minutes or less. Some of them are even like 8 minutes long. We do these these short episodes every week. You get an additional episode. And once you become a subscriber you'll also receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that it plays in your normal podcast player whatever you're using to listen to this right now like apple Podcasts or overcast or feedly you can find all the details and all the good stuff including an additional podcast episode every week over at the minimalists.com support and here is a snippet from this week's postscript episode your budget creates possibility yes, for yes. you yeah. because if you don't know where your money is going, then of course it seems impossible. And then you feel pessimistic about the future. You feel despair. Mm-hmm. And so, and when you feel despair, you feel trapped because you're saying this isn't going to get any better. That's what Ian is saying. When he says, I feel trapped financially and emotionally, you're saying, I don't feel like this is going to get any better. I don't see any possibility of improvement. Mm-hmm. The budget sheds light on possibility. The budget yes. is a little bit of hope. Yes, it absolutely. Truly is. It is a tool for hope. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently and um in the spirit of more is less, I have two things that I I wanted to talk about this week. Um so there was an album called First and Foremost by an artist named Plested. And it's like um, upbeat pop songs about hopeful yearning. And I mm. felt like it was, and I just discovered it a couple weeks ago, and it almost made my, my top, it made my top 15 list uh, last year. So I do, I do this uh, album list I every saw. year. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, I know that. So, so I put out uh, this this list and uh, he actually made the honorable mentions. I cut it down to 12 people just because I, you know, I wanted to, to slim it down. It just looked better to have 12. <laughs> but um, 
I've discovered at the end of the year, I think it's seven or eight songs, but they're all great. It's like you, you put it on, you just walk around for half an hour and you feel upbeat. It's it's a very hopeful album. Wow. And so Plested. And also, if you want to check out my year-end list, you just go to theminimalists.com slash sound. It's called The Sound of Life. There's a, a last year's list and then all the previous year's list since we started The, yeah, the Minimalists. That list, list is great, man. I uh, uh, There's a couple albums on there that I had not heard you recommend or forgot that you recommended that I was going to. Do you remember any of them? Um, I'm trying to think of the the rap album. Uh, that Young Boy NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got. It's like an EP that he put out, but it's. Um, oh no, that must have been someone else. Then I'm trying to think because uh, he had about 18 songs. Oh, on there. okay. No, the one I'm thinking of was like an eight. It was like an eight song EP that came out this okay. year, 2018. Anyway. Um, my point is, is that there's just all different types of music there. There's literally and they're all really good and albums and pop. And I'm and like, <clears throat> and I'm like discovering yeah new stuff that I didn't even realize had come out this year. It's great. And then I rediscovered something this week. Hmm. Uh, uh, last week actually, I, I rewatched Up in the Air, and I hadn't mm. seen this since we were in the corporate world. It came out in 2009. I saw it when it came out. About. Up in the Air. It's uh, it is a George Clooney movie, and he's like a perpetual traveler. Oh, okay. And he's trying to reach his goal of ten million airline miles, <laughs> because that's how much he flies, and oh, he was wow. going to be like the seventh person in the world to do it or whatever. Oh, wow. But it is this. Um, what a crazy goal! Right. Like, and, and it has. What's your accomplishment in life? I flew ten million miles. Right. Well, then he has all these other like mm-hmm. little sort of sub goals, and it was this perfect synecdoche of like how we get this perceived status he's like look at my hilton honors membership card or look at my frequent flyers card or he's comparing cards with some girl in a hotel bar and like (laughs) look at all these reward points that i get and wow um and it's funny how one movie can touch you in a certain way because we hadn't traveled that much by then. I was just living in Dayton, Ohio, and the only, only time I traveled was when I drove down to Cincinnati a few times a week. Uh, that was <laughs> that was the the extent of my travel. Or maybe we'd we'd get lucky and drive out to Indianapolis. Yeah. And um, <laughs> but now, like Ryan and I have, you know, we did uh, I think last year or in, in 2017, 104 flights or something insane. Um, and and so. You, you get this sense of like, also, there is a, a particular kind of loneliness in, in this sort of perpetual, um, uh, in fact, I knew something was wrong in 2014 when uh, we started saying in a bunch of like Hampton Garden Inn or Hampton Inn or and that started feeling more like home than my home. Mm, yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because like, they all look the same. You they look, do. Yeah. You it's know like you how to, they work. It's like when you go to Starbucks, like you know what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they try hard to create that and give you the sense yeah. of home, even though it isn't there. But it was a fascinating movie, and I forgot about the ending. And I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but oh my goodness, it's such a good film. Like, it was good even without this ending. Oh, wow. But with the ending, you're like, Oh, it, it. I mean, it's one of those movies that bowls you over. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's called Up in the Air. Speaking of movies, uh, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody finally. Okay. Have you seen that yet? Yes, Lee? I did. I know you haven't no, seen it. No, I haven't it. seen it. Talk about like a movie about hope. I mean, I. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, I wish I would have seen it sooner. Um, I'm a little jealous because podcast Sean saw it like in the IMAX. Oh, that would have been wild. And uh, there, there's like th- this. Um, the last like 10, 15 minutes is a, uh, it's not actual queen. It's like the actors who play queen, but they put on this concert and it's, I can only imagine seeing it in IMAX would be, it'd be freaking awesome. But one specific thing I remember about that movie when it comes to hope is Freddie Mercury is trying to talk 
his uh, I don't know his manager. It's not his manager. I don't know the music label, whatever it is. Oh, I know. What you're and he's trying about. to talk him into like putting Bohemian Rhapsody as the single, and the guy's like, "That's a six minute long song without a without a chorus, right? right. right like that's a, like yeah. that's stupid. Like we're not going to do that." And he just looked at him, and he's like, "You're going to be the guy who let Queen get away." And then, like, they walked out. And to me, like, that was Freddie Mercury. Like, A, he had the hope. He had his vision. But he also put all the work and the energy into making that vision come to fruition as much as he could. And then he had this one little barrier in the way. Mm. And he just went right around it and just kept on the hope. Yeah. And now, like, Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the most famous songs. And you have to be willing to walk away, too. That That's the, from, mm-hmm. and, and to me, that's a broader metaphor, right? Because, like, walking away from the life, like, when you when you talk about, like, well, uh, Italian family and Italian food, like, that's part of my identity. It's part of my cultural heritage. 23 and Me says I have to eat <laughs> pasta, right? <laughs> but then you're realizing, like, but wait a minute, like I can walk away from that part of my identity, which by the way is the hardest part to walk away from is this thing that we, we get tied up and say, this is part of me. And I think it was our friend TK Coleman, who's been on our podcast a few times. He, uh, he talked about recently, like if you're not willing to walk away in a negotiation, it's not actually a negotiation. Right. It's true. Yeah. It, amen. It, it, you, you're just a, a slave to their expectations at that point. Yeah. You always have to be willing to walk away. V, what's been adding value to your life recently? Uh, in the last year, the number one thing that has been adding value to my life, believe it or not, is CBD. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm okay. taking it right now with, with the SIBO. Yeah. Hemp. I have to tell you, and in touring... I don't think I'm the only person saying that, um, but CBD not only for me but for my dog. So mm. CBD oil, like use like a little tincture thing. Yeah, or? so it ha- it's it's not cannabis. So we're not talking marijuana. We're right. talking hemp. So mm-hmm. there's no psychotropic effect, but Mother Nature gives it to us, and it's really been a game changer for me and my mm. wellness program. And one I never saw coming. Mm. Helps with inflammation. Wow. Helps with uh, stabilization of the gut and a few other things. Uh, Anxiety, sleep. And, uh, you know, no side effects, no negative outcomes. I love things that help me that are producing no negative outcomes. And yeah. really, beyond remembering to use it, it requires nothing from me. Yeah. I don't know the technical word, but uh, is it is it a, a CBD something that you have to build up to? Like with Allegra, for example, if, you know, the over-the-counter stuff, you've got to take it for like a week and build up that drug in your system before you actually start to experience I think there are compounding effects, effects but uh, I mean I, I noticed right away the first time I ever tried CBD oil um, it made me tired mm. but in a way where it was like it helped it aided my, my sleep um, I generally don't I personally generally don't take it every day except right now with the SIBO protocol I'm on they, they do have me taking it every day as part of this entire regimen I mean I think if the if the F- FDA like raided my house right now they would they would arrest me for an intent to distribute supplements. Did <laughs> you take it so much? Yeah. So, um, yeah, make sure it's legal wherever you are. It, it's silly if it's not, but um, I assume, I think it's it's pretty much illegal everywhere in the United States and Canada at this point. But we have, CBD yeah, we have yeah. listeners in, in 190 countries at this point. So it may not be legal where you are. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so just keep that in mind. All right, Ryan, let's move on to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. I want to talk about 
our most recent screenless Saturday experience. But first, I want to say thanks to V for being here. And if you're listening to this at home, I would strongly encourage you to check out her website. It's paleobosslady.com. Check her out on all the social medias, at paleobosslady. And also check her out on the road. I know you're hitting the road again in, uh, in January. So as this episode comes out, you'll be hitting the road again. It's called the Taking It to the Streets Tour. You can find that over at her website as well. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I'm really grateful. Really appreciate having me. you. And thank you for you're inspiring awesome. me. I, I hope that you realize that The Minimalists, uh, your work is a big part of my wellness program. Mm. And you've continued to inspire me. And the Screenless Saturday gave me a little anxiety. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but well, let's talk about that. What? So so you have you tried it out at all? Well, I, I've been asked to do that a few times. And I'm like, I, I, I can't let my tribe down. I can't do it. So like, right. I have anxiety about doing it. But I want to do it. Mm. I just have never been able to bring myself... So when you say you don't want to let your tribe down, it's about like being engaged with them on a daily basis. I, I do get that. It's funny though, because like, like we were talking about earlier, sometimes we have this expectation of how our tribe is going to treat us when we do a certain thing, but your tribe loves you, V. They, they support you. Like they want you to do what's best for you. So I would just encourage you to uh, not let the tribe get in the way because they love you so much like they're going to forgive you if you if take you if, if you if you take a 24 hours to get back to them and it may not even be they forgive you they'll applaud you most likely because Probably. the expectations are generally not theirs they're they're often yours and by the way if someone else has an unreasonable expectation then that's their unreasonable expectation. Like we were talking about with Annie and her parents. Like mm. if they have an unreasonable expectation, it's not my my job. It's not my duty to adjust their expectation. It's to figure out what my own expectations are of myself. And we've been playing around with the Screenless Saturday thing now for three months. And there are three ways to do it basically. So it's sort of a, you, there, there's the, you can slowly wean yourself off of it or you can go all the way in. Uh, the first week we did it, we dove all the way in. All in. And uh -huh. It yeah. was no screens whatsoever. The easiest way to do it, the reason we started it was like, hey, let's just take a day off social media every week. Uh, wait, Jessica, who is our social media manager, she can have the day off. She's not looking at comments or anything like that. Uh, she's not sending us stuff to approve on social media. Mm -hmm. She's just no social media day. And for us, no social media as well. So that's step one. That's the that's easing. as dipping your toe into the water, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you want to slowly walk into the water, you add no computer as well. So basically, I'm not going to do any work on Saturdays. Right? Giving myself the, the, the workless Saturday. No, no computer screen in front of me. No social media. And that's actually what I, Bex and I did uh, last weekend. Um, because I wanted to send a video to our friend Matt Diavella. He directed our, our documentary, Minimalism. It was his birthday on Saturday. <laughs> and so I just said, hey, man, it's Screenless Saturday, but I wanted to send you a video and say, hey, I just really appreciate you. Happy birthday, brother. And, uh, and, and so I didn't go completely screenless, which is the third way you can do it. You can go all the way, no screens, including your phone, nothing. And we've tried that. You put your phone in a drawer. It's great. And yeah, you panic at first, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like you panicked at first because mm -hmm. especially you go out, you're like, oh no, I'm naked. Where's my Where's my phone? Yeah, my very first screenless Saturday, we were in Idaho uh, at a place called Goldbug. It's hot springs, and it's just like if you're ever if you're ever lucky enough to be in that area, like it's spread on the uh, uh, Idaho Montana border. Um, but anyway, like we're we're getting ready. We, we were staying the night. We're getting ready to go up the trail and I was like oh I don't have any service and man what if Josh needs to get a hold of me I'm like wait a minute it's Saturday 
Like I don't have, I don't have to have that flinch. Like I can leave this in the car yeah. and it's okay. And like the people closest to me understand that I don't have my phone today and they support me on that. It is, it is awesome. Like to give yourself permission to and, not and the, care. And the nice thing is you set that expect expectation beforehand. Yeah. And also the, the thing to think about is like, I'm probably not the best person to contact if there's a true emergency. <laughs> so if it's a screenless Saturday and I happen to have Ella with me, then I mean, she's the only person who would need to actually contact me if there was an emergency. But if she's there with me or Bex is there with me, mm-hmm. if Ryan cuts his hand off, you know, because he's operating some sort of Saul on a Saturday, <laughs> please call 911 before no, you call me. It's also Saul a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen on a Saturday. Saul a Saturday. <laughs> so so um, I, I sent the video. Then we, we got to, we went to the Russian bathhouse this week. And I, have you yeah. ever gone nice. to a Russian bathhouse? I have never done it yet, but There's I hear one right it's down the experience. street from here. It's uh, called <sighs> Voda so Spa. I strongly encourage you to go there. I think it's 50 bucks, $55. Mm. Uh, you get to spend as long as you want, three, five hours there. It's incredible. And you you go from the the hot sauna. The, this weekend is the hottest I've ever experienced it, Ryan. 250 degrees. 250. Wow. I mean, it's like we were sitting in there and we were joking about how really Voda was just cooking us. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy who came in and started slicing Sli- carrots. <laughs> on top. Here, hold this onion. Yeah. <laughs> but then you go then you go into a cold plunge pool. It's salinated. So it's 30 degrees. So it's essentially freezing. You go from 250. 220 usually it was 250 last week to 30 degrees and 220 to to 30 degrees and you feel euphoric i mean it is unbelievable but also you know, you're, you're getting all the you know, your, your body obviously re- eliminates toxins through the skin it's one of the biggest ways to to get rid of of, of toxins and so if you're detoxing from anything uh for me when i was doing heavy metal detox especially i had to go four or five six days a week to a sauna in order and i i took nine and other things that helped me out with that but um yeah it, it man you feel amazing afterward i remember we were there ryan you looked at me you said if we could do this every day we'd be invincible yeah i seriously feel like that like it's well the the first time i i kind of felt that sentiment was uh it was like when we first moved to la so it was september october so it was cold and i went to go surf cold. and it was like the day yeah cold you know ish uh the, the ocean was and uh, I went with no bodysuit, and it was like a day or two after going to Voda. And like as soon as that water hit me, it was cold. But I was like, "This is not that cold plunge. Like this is this is not nearly as cold as that." And I was yeah, like to- everyone else is in bodysuits and right. shivering and talking about how cold the water is. And I was like, like, "Not I'm, even." I've acclimated. By it. Yeah, That's no, great. I love it. It's crazy. Like the the especially that cold plunge. Like I've never felt so much discomfort and elation. At the same time, like it is so the range of emotions that I go through when I'm in that cold right. plunge, it's it's pretty awesome. It's pretty intense. All right, I want a dollar from everyone in this room immediately. Um, <laughs> you still owe me a dollar. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I want one from you because uh, Ryan and I. Uh, this is the last month, so that, that you can contribute to this in January. Um, so if you if you got a few dollars for Christmas and you want to donate one or more of them, now is a good time to do it. Ryan and I are from a place called Dayton, Ohio, and on the west side of Dayton, one of the largest food deserts in the country. Forty percent of the population in Dayton proper lives on the west side. There's not a single grocery store on the west side of Dayton. We're trying to change that. We're trying to build a not-for-profit 
grocery co-op that doesn't just provide healthy food options, but also provides edu education so people know what is healthy and having access to the, the healthy food, but also understand why they need the healthy food is equally important because right now they can get food, but it's Cheetos at the local liquor store mm -hmm. or or just, just bad food, not healthy food. Yeah. And so if you want to help us change that, we are about $30,000 shy right now. So we need 30,000 of you, which... On, on a great week, there's a million people listening to this. Mm -hmm. um, so if they all give so, us like 25 cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the minimum is a dollar. So, so give a dollar. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you give a dollar. We just did, uh, there's someone throwing money right now. I, I oh. gave 25 bricks. Oh, I, I you are awesome. Thank bricks. you so much. Yes, Pete. I did. I thought it was awesome. My daughter is going around now and we're walking around like West Hollywood or something. <laughs> She'll try to pick up a brick and like, hey, will this help at the grocery store? Um, yeah, and, and I smack it out of her hand. I say, no, give me a dollar. Uh, <laughs> such a good parent. That's just a metaphor, Ella. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, we, we do need your help though. And so V, thank you so much oh, uh, for contributing to that. And um, if you all are willing to contribute, just a dollar will help out. If you have more than a dollar, that will help out a lot. We didn't reach our $100,000 goal last year. It's a $3 million grocery store, but we're raising the last $100,000 mm -hmm. at this point. And so if you all can help us do that, we're less than $30,000 away from wow. making this thing happen. We hope to uh, break ground uh, later this year and then hopefully open it sometime in 2020. I got to say, man, even if like it ended today, I mean, getting to 70,000 bucks, like that is, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And to anyone who's given to us, V and everyone else, like, thank you so much for your contribution. That's, that's incredible. It yes, means indeed. a lot to us. We're really grateful. And Ryan and I are donating $25,000 of our own money to make this happen. So we're also putting our money where our mouth is here. If you want to help out, it's just theminimalists.com slash Dayton. Theminimalists.com slash Dayton. You can contribute over there. If you want to see the funny video we did about it, go to theminimalists.com slash brick. And Ryan and I were trying to steal bricks from a wall in order to uh, <laughs> to make it happen. Oh, and uh, if you want to, it's a new year and a lot of people have new year's resolutions. I've noticed on social media recently, a lot of people were asking me about writing. And of course, I teach a four-week writing class online. It's called How to Write Better. If you want to find more details about that, it's howtowritebetter.org. It is a four-week writing class, 21 different videos, interactive community, over 60 pages of material, some recommended books to read as well. If you want to learn how to write better, how to develop a writing habit, you want to learn more about composition and editing, you want to learn about publishing as well, all of that is taught in my writing class, howtowritebetter.org is the link. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. If you want to comment on this week's podcast episode, you can do so over at youtube.com slash The Minimalists. Also on YouTube right now, we're doing quickie episodes of The Minimalists podcast. We're doing living room conversations. We have a, a bunch of new ones we're going to record really soon also we've had uh, we've had quite a few over the last uh, several months so those are going well and they continue to get better and also house tours of Ryan's and my minimalist home since we own nothing it'll just be it'll be like you're you're, uh, you're following a realtor into a house <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a great parody oh yeah it would be good oh we gotta do that <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, oh and also on YouTube you can vote for which videos you'd like to see. So each week we put up a poll like, hey, what video do you want us to post in the next week? And we, we give you four different options uh, of videos that you can choose from. So you get to vote for what videos you'd like to see. And on our website right now, Simple Sundays, every Sunday we publish a new piece of writing or a minimalism rule, minimalism tip, minimalism essay, a video, something on our website. And you can get that in your 
email inbox if you'd like. Just head on over to theminimalists.com. Enter your email address at the top. We'll never send you spam or advertisements or junk because we hate that stuff. And also, we will send you our show notes to every podcast. You always hear me talk to Podcast Sean about put that in the show notes, put that in the show notes. Well, if you're on our email list, you'll also get the show notes every time we put out a new podcast episode. And speaking of simplicity... Um, now is the last chance to sign up for a simple year. This is a course that Ryan and I have participated in for several years now. And we, we do the gift giving portion, but it's 12 months of guided simplicity over the course of an entire year. So for 2019, if you're looking for some guided simplicity, uh, you have different experts from different areas talking about whether it is self-care or diet or travel or gift giving or the holidays, um, decluttering your home each month. We pick a different topic and we dive really deep on that particular topic. If you're interested in 12 months of guided simplicity, if you're interested in a simple year, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash simple year. You can check out all the details and read the syllabus over there. Ryan, you got anything else for us? As always, I just want to encourage people to read more and get informed. Also, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, I'm Nancy from Iowa. Here's a tip about helping to get rid of your parents' stuff and helping others at the same time. My mom is 90 and about to move into a smaller condo after living in a five-bedroom house on 1.5 acres. All of her five children and 13 grandchildren are avowed minimalists. We contacted a friend who helps with immigrants, and after we organized my mom's stuff into segments of kitchen, bedding, furniture, and books, five churches came with trucks to distribute these items to needy families. This eliminated the cost to families to not have to go to secondhand stores to purchase essentials. Rather, they are truly donated at no cost to them. Hi, Josh and Ryan. It's Laura from Melbourne. Um, I've just got a suggestion for changing habits, um, particularly around housework. So instead of procrastinating about having to spend two or more hours cleaning your house each week, break house chores into tiny daily habits. I try to make it fun and easy to remember, um, so it's almost like a bit of a game in my head. So I have the following, toilet Tuesdays, washing Wednesdays, throw out Thursdays, floor Fridays, shower Saturdays. Uh, that way each task only takes five or ten minutes and you can always remember which task to do on what day and you avoid wasting time procrastinating or losing valuable time out of your weekend. Hey guys, this is Eric from Jacksonville, Florida, and I wanted to share a tip that I had um, that our family had done last year for our daughter's seventh birthday, and she was totally into it. Uh, we had on the invitations in lieu of presents to bring um, a small shoebox full of um, gifts for poor children in Africa. It was actually through Operation Christmas Child, which is a, a religious organization, Christian organization, but there are other uh, charities like that, and... Um, our daughter really enjoyed it, and all the kids and the parents thought it was a great idea. Uh, also, we've been to other friends' parties in which they've asked in lieu of gifts for people to bring uh, socks, blankets, that sort of thing for the homeless. So just wanted to uh, run that tip by you when uh, people ask about kids' birthday parties and how to avoid all this stuff. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And, oh, and if you would, follow V over at 
Paleo Boss Lady and PaleoBossLady.com. V, thank you for being with us today. Also, if you have a voice memo you want to send to us, you have a comment or a tip for The Minimalist that we're going to play at the end of each episode, podcast at TheMinimalists.com is the email address. And if y'all leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tell your 